So I think uh, a few months ago I stood up here and I was uh, chairing the service and I had the pleasure of using my introduction to announce that Rach and I were pregnant, which was very exciting. So today I get to use the introduction to my sermon to announce that we're going to have a girl. So now you all know. Yesterday we, yesterday we made that public, so now it's public. Uh, it's going on the podcast, so it's definitely public. Um, another thing Rachel and I have had the pleasure of doing is uh, last year in, uh, in July, we got together with a team of people from Australia and we headed off to Greece. And we were part of a mission trip uh, over there, part of something called Operation Joshua. And Operation Joshua... Um, is run by an organisation called Hellenic Ministries and uh, their vision is to see every Greek house, every Greek household have a Bible. Sounds pretty good. Uh, You might think, I thought the Bible was written in Greek or at least I thought the New Testament was written in Greek Uh, and it is, that's true, Uh, but it's written in a different um, form of Greek, I guess. Uh, Much older, not very... um, approachable by the common person but even more than that uh, the culture of the country is um, maybe has some really strong similarities to uh, how the church was before the Reformation. So before the Reformation uh, yes the Bible was important but it was one of a few different revelations from God and one of a few different tests as to whether something was true or not. So uh, you had the Bible, but then you also had, well, what does my priest or my... Yeah, in in the Greek Orthodox sense, it's priest. So what does my priest teach me? And then what is the tradition of the church? And what is the, uh, you know, all this, what you might call extra-biblical stuff? So what we were a little bit witness to in in Greece was, um, was that... Yes, 99 point something of the population is Greek Orthodox, but what that means can vary from town to town, from uh, region to region, depending on what priest is in charge, what sort of things he teaches, what his character is like. Uh, But the one kind of consistent value was, um, and unfortunately we we were witness to this a number of times, was that uh, the priests weren't always very interested in seeing the Bible in the hands of the people. Uh, They looked at us and said, you're foreigners and you're not part of the Greek Orthodox Church, therefore you must be uh, heretics. And uh, they said to their people, um, don't accept anything from them, don't talk to them. Uh, In fact, the the first town we walked into... So here you go. I wasn't planning to tell this story, but it's pretty interesting. So the first town we walked into, this is on our first day on the trip. So we've, we've flown in the day before. We've had a night's rest. We're out. We've got two Greek speakers with us, two Greek evangelical Christians, of which there are extremely few. Um, and they're driving and we're taking armfuls of Bibles and this is a Bible that has been um, approved by the uh, Greek Orthodox Church, but because of the big stratification of hierarchy, just because this archbishop over here says, yes, I approve the Bible, doesn't mean this village priest over here is going to listen to you. In fact, the rumour was getting around that we had forged 
the front page of the Bible with the stamp in it from the church. Uh, So even though the Bible said, yes, Greek Orthodox scholars have been part of this translation and it's legitimate, um, the the rumour was getting around, no, 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 they forged it, don't listen to them, they're heretics from another country, Uh, they might be Jehovah's Witnesses and they're here to cause trouble and convert you into some other religion, so watch out. So anyway, back to the story. We walk into our first town and we... We start on the outskirts and we work our way in, kind of like this, because the, the, uh, the church and where the priest lives and works is generally in the centre of town. So we're thinking we'll probably do that area last because we know there's going to be maybe not the most friendly reception. So we get one street in, we get two streets in. It's a beautiful day. There's fig trees over the fence and some sheep or goats or something and we're walking around, we're hanging them on the doorknobs. We can't say much. I only remember Calispera and uh, Inothoro, Inodoro. It's a gift. Um, And I used to know how to say, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness, uh, which was a very common question. Uh, And so we go from house to house and then we hear over the louds that what sort of town has a loudspeaker? But anyway, they've got a loudspeaker and we hear over the loudspeaker, Greek, 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 Greek. I can't repeat it because I don't speak Greek. Greek, 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 Greek. And uh, our, our driver pulls up next to us and he says, ah, oh, you, you should probably get in the car. I'm like, what was that about? And he said, well, the priest just announced over the loudspeaker that there's some foreigners in town and that no one should listen to them, talk to them uh, or have anything to do with them because they're heretics. Um, and so he said, we probably should leave. And so we're like, oh, all right. So we got in the car and um, we thought, oh, let's not just leave just yet. Let's try a different section of town. Maybe we can get to some places that didn't hear the announcement or, you know, where word hasn't quite gotten. There's only maybe 200 houses there, so it's not a big place. Uh, but we, we drive around a bit and we pick up some of the other people that we're, we're working with and we just, oh, we'll, try, we'll just try a few streets over here. And I kid you not, this was the response. I hung a Bible on a house or on a gate. I walked about 10 steps. I heard someone yelling at me uh, from behind me. Um, and I thought, I'm, I'm not going to look back <laughs> because I don't speak Greek and I'm just going to be getting involved in something that I don't understand. And then I, I walked over and hung a Bible on another house and more yelling and now I look around and this lady who was sitting in her front garden with some of her friends and they were, I don't know, chatting, playing cards, something, um, she has picked up the Bible off, the, uh, off her gate. She's stormed over, picked up another one and she's walked straight past me, maybe just two metres. I've gone fine if you're not going to take them. So I've put my hands out. She's walked straight past me and thrown them across the road and uh, just, they're in bags, so they're okay. And I like to give her the benefit of the doubt and think she doesn't actually know what she's throwing or what she's doing because they're also very religious people and I'm not sure she would have felt comfortable if she'd realised she was throwing a Bible. But then just then just abuse. So I go, I go pick up the Bibles and we continue on. And I, I came back around later and this, was, this, is the nice, this is the nice ending to this tale. I came back around later and so 
you've got a lot of houses and all the, all the men were kind of in this house here and all the women were in this house here out the front and chatting and talking, playing cards. And so the, the ladies were quite angry and, and looking at us. But <laughs> the man who I had seen earlier in this other house, so I assume her husband or I'm going to go with husband, I don't think brother, um, he's actually got one of the Bibles and he's sitting there and he and the other man are sitting there discussing it and um, fantastic and even more so she's, she's watering the garden and just giving me greasies because I guess he said to her I'm a Greek man you don't tell me what to do I'll read this thing if, if I want to and, uh, but it was really interesting but we just had this, this eye-opening experience of what happens when uh, I guess a a a country, a religion, a church uh, loses sight of the Word of God as their as accessible to everyone, as their ultimate authority, and starts putting in some other traditions over hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. The Greek Orthodox Church uh, says it can claim its lineage all the way back to Peter, or is it Paul? I think it's Peter. maybe Paul. Um, but that's a, long, that's a long way. So they've had a long time uh, to think through these things. Um, and yet we saw some very strange occurrences over there and some very, um, what we would consider non-biblical activity. And not, not from necessarily the common folk, but sadly from the, from the priests, from the religious elite. Uh, we climbed a hill in Athens and... Um, at, at the top was a little chapel sort of thing, Greek Orthodox chapel, probably small enough almost to fit on this stage. Um, very, very small. And inside you walk in and there's paintings of Greek saints all over the walls. Uh, it's, just, it's, it's essentially two rooms, very small rooms um, with some stained glass windows, uh, very small stone building and there's paintings everywhere and there's a little box of sand in the corner with candles in it burning and uh, people there was a lot of tourists and a lot of Greek people there and they would come up come in um, pay the man who worked for the church I don't know if he was a priest or, or what he was um, but he's, it, there was an old man sitting there and he would sell them a candle for maybe one or two euro and they would light it say a prayer and I guess the, the smoke carries the prayer up to heaven that's supposed to be what, <laughs> what happens. Um, the reality was, because I stuck around to take some photos, the reality was uh, they would come in, they would pay one or two euro, they would plant their candle, they would light it, they would say their prayer, they would walk out, he would blow out the candle, put it back in his bag and he would sell it to the next person who came in. Um, there, was, there was a level of corruption there, there was a level of just superstition. Out the front of that, out the front of that um, chapel or church, uh, there were two more men and they were selling little statues of Jesus on the cross, little statues of Mary, little statues of Zeus, little statues of, uh, well not statues, but little um, evil eye emblems. Superstition and, and extra-biblical stuff and worship of saints and all this stuff getting muddled together because they'd stepped away from this, uh, the Bible and God's commandments as the ultimate authority. Let me just get that. Um, 
Our text today uh, touches on some of these themes. Let me read it through. Uh, I'm actually going to stop at verse 20, so we're not going to do 21 to 28 today. That's okay. Um, But let me read to you. Matthew 15, uh, 1 to 20. Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat, uh, which makes them unclean, is what they're saying. Uh, Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, If anyone declares uh, that what might have been used to help their parents is devoted to God, then they are not to honour them, they they don't have to honour their father and mother with it. Therefore, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. They worship me in vain, their teachings are merely human rules. Then Jesus called the crowd to himself and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you say this? And he replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a hole. Peter said, explain the parable to us. And Jesus replies, are you so dull? Uh, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth just goes into the stomach and then out of the body? Uh, But the things that come out of a person's mouth, they come from the heart. And these are the things that can defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony and slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So what's happening here? So I raced through that because there's a, there's a bit there. Um, you've got these Pharisees who are basically um, Jewish rabbis of a particular school. So you would have these different rabbinical schools. You've got the Pharisees, you've got the Sadducees, there were probably others as well. There were um, teachers of religious law. And the Pharisees were uh, very popular with the people, um, maybe not the most politically powerful. That would probably be more the Sadducees. Um, but these guys were like the common folks preacher, um, very uh, devout in their um, rule following um, And these guys have come all the way from Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, of course, is the capital of Israel, but more than that, it's the religious capital. So it's where the temple is. And they've brought with them teachers of the religious law. So these could be um, people who instruct the rabbis at the temple um, or people who are involved at the temple. So they're not... They're not just there to ask this, to ask Jesus about ceremonial hand washing. They've probably come to investigate him to see what this country preacher is doing. Um, if Jesus is calling himself a rabbi, then they're probably taking special interest in him. He's taken some disciples, so they're probably thinking he could be, you know, he's out there, he's preaching to the people, he's clearly got a following, let's go check him out. And when they get there, they see his disciples, they don't even obey the most you know, rudimentary teaching. We all know, we all know that Rabbi whoever, whoever and his 
predecessor, rabbi, whoever, whoever, they, in their holiness and their greatness, they, um, they determined that if we really want to be holy, we wash our hands before we touch this unclean stuff, this food from the market. Uh, who knows where it's been? Who knows what unholy things have happened to it? So we wash our hands and then God will not be, we are not defiled before God by whatever spiritual infection we pick up. It's not, it's not washing their hands for germs, it's washing their hands because maybe some Gentile has touched this food, maybe it's been uh, somewhere unclean spiritually, maybe it's been in or near a temple, who knows? So they would wash their hands. And this was, this was kind of the way with, with, uh, with the rabbis was that yes, they had the law of Moses and that was this big maybe uh, and then they would add a bit and they would add a bit and over hundreds of years they'd been adding and adding and so one teacher would say well we should we should wash our hands to maintain cleanliness ceremonial cleanliness and then another teacher would say huh just the hands oh you heathen let's wash up to the elbows and then the next one would say oh the elbows are you serious let's wash our feet as well and they had this expanding codification of what it meant to be holy. And so this would, this would come up, you know, it would come up in, what does the Sabbath mean? You know, oh, my, my dog has fallen in a hole. Can I pick him up or not? We need a rule about that. Oh, but my child has fallen in a hole. We need a different rule about that. Um, I've accidentally dropped my wallet. Am I allowed to pick it up? Is that work? Let's, let's, and they would come up with the rules. And it wasn't necessarily because they came from a, a bad place or wanting to you know, just control everything. It was because they were just extremely... I'd use the word legalistic, but it carries a lot of negative connotations, um, but very precise. And they saw holiness before God as extremely important, and so much so that it wasn't just enough for God to say, oh, here's the laws, just follow them. They wanted to know in every situation, am I right or am I wrong? And how that also works out is now I can look at this guy and I can say, is he right? Is he wrong? Oh, he did this. Um, we have rules about that. They're not necessarily in the scriptures, but we have rules. I guess he must be wrong. Now I can kind of judge him, if you like. Um, I shouldn't have bought such a big paper. Uh, Jesus calls this what it is. He says, uh, this is hypocrisy. Um, he doesn't even defend his disciples because he's saying, you know what, you might have a problem with my disciples for not obeying your teachers, 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 rules about hand washing, but you've done worse. You've actually nullified the commandments of God. You've gone against God's word. And he gives an example. He says... In Leviticus, he wouldn't have called it Leviticus, I guess. In the Torah, it says, uh, honour your father and mother. And if you curse your father and mother, you should be put to death. And so how does that work in a practical sense? How does honouring your father and mother work in 2,000 years ago in, in Israel? Uh, no social security, no pension, no support at all. So when you get too old to work or too old to earn money, that's it, you're on your own. So your kids would look after you. And uh, that would be financial support, that would probably be having, having them all live together as one big family, all this sort of stuff. But sometimes uh, adults 
and humans being what they are, being a bit selfish, they say, well, maybe I don't want to look after my parents. Maybe I don't want to have to give up my money and my things so that they can, they can continue to live on. Uh, so I know what I'll do. I'll use this tradition called Korban and I'll declare my money is given over to God. Oh, now I can't give it... Sorry, Mum and Dad, now I can't give it to you because it's dedicated to God. It's dedicated to the temple. I can look holy. I don't have to look after my parents. It's a win-win situation. And the Pharisees would have known that this was happening, that people were abusing the rules to get around God's commandments. And I guess Jesus is saying, you're, you're either participating in that by doing it yourselves or you're allowing it to happen. In whatever way that is, you've actually elevated your tradition above God's word. You should be saying, look after your parents first. Koban's not important. And if you need to break that, then break it because you need to look after your parents. That's God's word. But instead, they were elevating their traditions. And so Jesus calls that what it is. He says, that's hypocrisy. He says, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. They worship me in vain, but their teachings are just human rules. There's nothing to them. They're just human rules. Jesus is saying, yes, you've called my disciples unclean for not washing their hands, uh, but I'm calling you unclean by what's in your heart. Uh, In fact, he calls out to the crowd to make sure everyone gets this. He's had a private little conversation over here that's upset the Pharisees and then he's made sure everyone gets the point. So he calls out to the people and he says, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, it's what comes out of their mouth. It's the things in your heart. And then the disciples, who apparently still didn't understand, he spells it out even so much more and he says, it's absolutely the things that come out of your heart that make you clean or unclean. And then he lists you know, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are all heart issues. Jesus is really clear. He's saying... Absolutely, God wants purity. On that, we and the Pharisees agree 100%. But the issue here is they think it's going to come from the right combination of actions. They think it's going to come from washing their hands or cleanliness on the outside. Jesus is saying, no, God wants a washed heart. Um, Like for us, uh, we might think, well... I come to church, that's a healthy thing to do. Washing my hands is a healthy thing to do. But God is not necessarily, necessarily impressed uh, by us just turning up here on a, on a Sunday. He's not necessarily impressed by um, our faithfulness to small group or our involvement in a ministry or how good we are at giving to charity. Um, he's interested in what's going on inside and no amount of good actions, no matter how good they are, no matter how much a natural extension of the Bible they may, might be, no amount of good actions actually will earn us purity in God's eyes. Um, that can only come by letting God clean us up from the inside, by letting Christ in to wash our heart. Um, so that's, that's one thing. <laughs> There's another side to this as well. That's, that's the point of the parable. But there's a nice little um, aside that Jesus puts in here where he says to the Pharisees, or he says of the Pharisees, sorry, 
They're like the blind leading the blind. Um, and that's not the only time that that, uh, that phrasing is used, blind leading the blind, or describing the Pharisees as blind to God's work. Um, if you flick over to Matthew or 23, you'll have a section in your Bible that might be titled something like The Seven Woes. Now, a woe is a, is a trouble, is a bad thing that's happening and he's saying this is some tr- seven troubles for the Pharisees. We're not going to go through all seven by any means um, but I do want to pick up on just a few to see if there's things in here that we can learn. Um, let's start with Matthew 23, 23 to 24. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. So far we're, we could still be in chapter 15 with those words. He says, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practised the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but you swallow a camel. There's an irony here. He's saying, you are so particular about your rules, you're so particular about trying to be good that in the process you've completely neglected the things that matter. You've neglected, what's he saying, mercy, faithfulness, justice. Um, In our case, that would be like us saying, well, we've got to get the Christian rules right. And Rob talked about a lot of this last week, you know. How do we feel about smoking? How do we feel about swearing? Things like this. Hey, they're great things to, to get rid of in your life if they're a problem. But if at the same time we have trouble forgiving, if we have trouble showing mercy, if we have trouble uh, being generous to people in need, then that's, that's a hard issue and that tells us a lot more and, and that's really what God is wanting us to cut to the quick of. He goes on and he says, so here's a call to check our own hearts and this is Matthew, same chapter, 27 to 28. What do you teach us the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You are like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Um, In other words, God sees the heart. There's no amount of niceness, there's no amount of, uh, you know, good Christian uh, lifestyle that can compensate and throw up a shield strong enough to keep God out of our heart. He'll know. He knows. And uh, if we're holding grudges, if we're acting selfishly, if we have heart issues going on, we can't escape that. And we can't escape that by being more religious. Um, So to sum that up, we go back to the start of the chapter, verses 1 to 7. And Jesus says to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. He's not saying that their teachings are bad. He's not saying that striving for, you know, some of those lifestyle things, that they're good, they're good things. But he does say this, um, and this hopefully doesn't apply to anyone, any of us, but he says, don't don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and they put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide 
and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be treated with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbis by others. When Rachel and I were in Greece, um, we saw this stuff firsthand. Absolutely. Um, what I, the story I told before might have sounded like, oh, that's pretty bad. I can't believe a priest would run people out of town uh, when they're trying to give out Bibles. That was like day one. Let me list some of the things that we experienced, us or the, or the greater team. Um, one priest, uh, there was a team that came into town. One priest drove his car up really fast, aiming for the group, and he pulled away at the last second and he jumped out of the car and he yelled at the lady, I was going to run you over, but then I realised I would go to hell and it wasn't worth it. Um, we, had, we had a priest or priests uh, grab at some people on our team and kind of try and grab the Bibles out of their hands and toss them away. Uh, they got in the ear of the police and <laughs> we had the very odd experience of being taken to a police station and questioned and asked, what are you doing here? Where do you come from? Um, thankfully, we were, one, we were two of 30 or 40, so it didn't feel like it was all about us, but these, these were some of the experiences that we, that we had. Um, it's, it happens when uh, people lose sight of the Word of God and they, they feel like, oh, we can... We can substitute in these human teachings. We can substitute in um, whatever, whatever traditions we have and, and they start getting elevated up and up the ladder of importance. Now, it's easy for us to sit here and think, oh, well, that's grace. That had never happened to us. We'd never do that. We'd never behave that way. And I like to think that none of you would jump in a car and drive it at someone that you disagreed with. Um, but I think in some ways... We do experience this within, within Australia, within, within the Western Christian society, culture, body, um, where we feel like um, that person doesn't behave like us, they don't worship like us, they don't do communion like us or they don't whatever it is. So in our hearts maybe we're saying, I don't really think that they're Christian. I don't have to treat them like they're part of the body. And sometimes out of our mouths come things like, oh, they, they're, they're uh, whatever, whatever derogatory term we might have. I um, have been looking through different uh, social media and things over the week because there's been some important events taking place in the, in the Western Christian mind and uh, just personalities going up against each other basically but what's really interesting is to then jump into the comments section and watch watch Christians basically denounce one another over different different traditions essentially and we do it too but not just with not just with other Christians not just with the church not just sometimes it even happens within bodies um, you know it's really sad when when churches experience these splits and unfortunately, they're much more common than I think we'd like to admit. Um, but what do they normally happen over? Is it really at the core of it? Is it theology or is it often politics or preferences? This church is no longer doing things the way I like it or I had a falling out with this person, let's all take sides. And it becomes that, doesn't it? 
and suddenly we've lost sight of the word of God, we've lost sight of the gospel as dictating the way we should behave and we've elevated up how I feel, I don't like that person, they're not, they're not keeping things the way I think they should be kept, therefore I'm exempt from the gospel, I don't have to show them the grace that God has shown me, I can, I can basically just treat them like I want to but accept from God grace. We've elevated our traditions, if you like, if, you, if you'll extend me the grace to use that, that term in that way. But we've, we've elevated our way of doing things and we've extended it over the law of grace. Um, I have some Christian friend, uh, non-Christian friends, should I say. I have some non-Christian friends from high school and um, they are not at all interested in the things of God not one bit Um, and when you trace that back a lot of them have said to me at one point or another um, I've given God a try I went to a Christian school or my parents took me to Sunday school when I was younger or any number of uh, experiences of the church they've had and they say well I had a bad experience therefore I can write God off I don't need to have any part with him anymore I've tried it I think that's so sad, isn't it? It's sad for two reasons. It's sad because they've decided to write God off based on one bad experience or two bad experiences and I think that's terrible and not at all taking God seriously. But it's sad too that whatever organisation, whatever church they've been a part of, whatever Christians they've known have damaged their own witness by acting in an unloving way maybe to each other or maybe to, my, to the people I knew. No. There are definitely cases where the public is watching and um, when Christians dig into each other and rip each other apart, um, the public go, oh, look, they're just like us. They don't have any more love for each other than we do. What's so special about them? And we harm our witness. Um, I'm conscious of the time, so I'll jump ahead a little bit. I just want to get down to James. Don't worry about turning to this in your Bible. Um, this, is, this is what James writes about um, loving your neighbour as yourself. Because let's face it, that's what Jesus has said is the ultimate law. If we're to think about what law applies to us now in a post, post-crucifix, post-Christ uh, era, it's that we have the law of grace. And this is, what, this is what Jesus says is the greatest commandment. Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. Everything else hangs off of this. All right, so that's our law. That's what we should be thinking of as the law. Love God, love your neighbour as yourself. James expands on that for us. He says... And this is James 2, 8 to 13. It's short, don't worry about turning to it. Um, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, then you're doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles at just one point, uh, they're guilty of breaking the whole thing. He said, For God who said, you shall not commit adultery also said, you shall not murder. Now, if you commit adultery, even if you don't murder, you've still broken the law. 
So that's what he's saying. He's saying you can't, you can't just pick and choose what you want to do. So then he says, and this is, this is the crux of it, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And this is a great phrase right here. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's like the the absolute core of the gospel. Mercy triumphs over judgment. When Christ came to earth, when Jesus came to earth, when he died on the cross, what was that? That was mercy trumping judgment. Um, God could have said, you've all sinned, I'll wipe you out. That would have been judgment trumping mercy, but he didn't do that. So he leaves us. Uh, he leaves us with two paths. He says, "You can either go down the Pharisees' path. You can say, I'm going to put aside the commandments of God, and I'm going to I'm going to basically operate from a from a what makes me comfortable position or a tradition perspective. Uh, I'm going to um, elevate." my own opinions, my own way that I feel about this church or that person or non-Christians or society, I'm going to elevate that up and now I, I can ignore the gospel because that means I can accept the gospel for myself but I can put all these burdens on everyone else. You're not good enough. I don't like you. you don't, you're not good enough for God. You know? Or we can take uh, a Christ-like approach um, we can recognise and celebrate diversity within the body and we can say, you know what, not every church is the same, that's fine. They're all worshipping the same God. Um, We can say, uh, you know what, these people, they don't know Christ yet. Yeah, their their lives may not be in order, but that's not the first place I'm going to start with them. The first place I'm going to start with them is the Gospel and loving them and inviting them to know Jesus. Um, when we uh, love first, then we're heeding God's commandment. We're heeding Jesus' words to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and to love our neighbours as ourselves. And in doing so, we become living expressions of the gospel. So, that's all I have to say. Let me, let me pray. Lord God, um, it is a privilege that we have to know you and to have experienced your grace and to keep experiencing your grace. Um, And it is a joy to have a personal relationship with you, um, to be able to talk to you, love you and know that um, you're not looking for an excuse to cut us out because your grace and your sacrifice on the cross extends over all our sin and extends over all our mistakes and our misunderstandings. And so, Lord, from that, uh, we want to pray that um, we would then take, take the mindset of extending that same grace to those around us. Um, be they in the church or out of the church um, 
I pray that we would be living examples of the gospel, living examples of mercy triumphing over judgment. And in doing so, that we would have the joy of seeing people come to know you, um, that we would have the uh, joy of knowing that our lives glorify you. We thank you for everything you have given us, for each other, um, for this community, and for you. We just pray now that as we go into a time of fellowship, um, that you'll bless that time and bless our love for one another. Amen.